Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful. Do not practice your righteousness in front of others to seem by them. If you do, you will have no reward from the far in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, good morning. Welcome to Liberty. My name is uh, Tim. I'm going to preach in a moment, but first let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is your world, and we are yours, your creation, and we are the sheep of your pasture who want to be led and guided by our good shepherd. And so now I pray as, as we open your word and speak a bit from Matthew 6, you would Shepherd us uh, by your heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my previous place of employment before this uh, church, we also were going through a building campaign. And in going through the building campaign, there was a moment that I, I haven't forgotten. We had to build a stage because we were building a, a new church out of a, an old Hobby Lobby and what was becoming clear was to, to build a stage, you had to build a ramp. And ramps are expensive, which is why we mostly do steps. And I had one of my senior pastors in the room for that part of the conversation about how we'd have to build a new stage, a ramp. None of this was anticipated. And we had to do it to comply with ADA law. He was not happy about this. And I sat and listened to him for a couple of minutes, trash ADA law and how ridiculous it was that we would have to build a ramp to the stage in church. Not knowing, or he, he should have known, that that would mean my own son couldn't ever come onto the stage at our church. And at that moment I thought, I don't know that I'm going to last here much longer. But what was more painful about that experience is seeing that person's heart in that moment, but then see them in other dynamics with people of special needs, looking very caring and, and appearing very, very loving. And it was mostly for show, to be seen by other people, when the reality of his heart I witnessed in those two to three moments in a building planning meeting. And after 40 years in the church, I know this is a common reality that there are a lot of us who attend church and we're more interested in appearing to be a follower of Jesus than actually following Jesus. That's so why in seminary I had a professor say something that I've not forgotten. His professor was, his name's D.A. Carson, and this is what he said. Christians should be people of high spiritual performance and low spiritual pretension. 
Now I recognize the way he phrased that sounds very pretentious. But he's a Canadian with a PhD, so let's give him some grace. But I knew, I knew he was right. He said that to a room full of future pastors. And his point was, hey, listen, your families, your children, your spouse is going to watch you preach publicly, pray publicly, counsel others. And then they're going to see you at home. And if what you are at home isn't very compelling, your whole ministry will look like a performance to them. An actor playing a part. And that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6.1, what Logan read for us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If our spirituality or our discipleship to Jesus is a performance to be taken in by other people, Jesus says that that's worthless. It's not worth anything. And my belief here is no one in this room wants to be a spiritually pretentious person. Because I'm assuming all of us have had experiences like I had, where you encountered a Christian leader behind closed doors, or just a Christian behind closed doors, and were shocked by what you saw. And then you saw them outside of closed doors playing a part. <laughs> and maybe it, it made you not want to follow Jesus anymore. It made you question the reality of who God is. So this is important to us as a church, or to me as a pastor, that our first goal over this two-year gather initiative is to gather ourselves before God because we don't want to be a spiritually pretentious place. And if you're gathered before God, if you live in his presence, it's impossible to be spiritually pretentious in his presence. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How to be a church of non-pretentious followers of Jesus. And Jesus offers us a few things in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the whole chapter. So if you've got a Bible, you can, you can flip there. Uh, but he offers us a few things in this chapter. He offers us three tests of our pretentiousness. How to become a person of low pretension and why it's, why it's so important. Uh, so first, the, the three tests of pretentiousness. And now every winter, the same thing happens to my tires that on my car that I'm sure happens to yours. They lose air pressure. And you have to put a gauge on the tire to test how much air pressure is there now that it's below zero. And the answer is always uh, not very much. And so you test the air pressure to make sure the, the car is safe. And likewise, Jesus lays out some tests here in Matthew 6 about whether you're playing a part or you're actually following him as his disciple. Uh, and so in, in Matthew 6, you can see each three tests laid out. It's, it's prayer, fasting, and generosity. Test one is about prayer. A great way to determine the level of spiritual pretension in your life is what is there when it's just you and God? How much life is there, spiritual life, when it's just you and God? Now, verses 9 through 15, tells, uh, Jesus tells us how to pray. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's not where we're going to be this morning. What, what matters more for this morning is not what we pray, but where we pray it. And Jesus says in verse 6, When you pray, go to your room, 
Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now in saying this, Jesus is not saying, hey, don't ever pray in public. Uh, Because Jesus prayed in public many times. In fact, he prayed like four other people. Um, If you remember, right before he raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, Jesus actually prays, basically preaching to the people he's around. So he's not saying, don't ever pray in public. That's not his point. But his point is that if your prayer, if you pray to be seen by others, then you're not really praying. You're performing. And if most of your prayer life is performance-based, you have a problem. And it's impossible to pray performatively, at least in my mind, to God in private. Because God's not impressed with our prayers. The Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane, he summarized this well, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 when he said, when a pers- What a person is on their knees before God, that they are, and nothing more. And so what does your prayer life say about the quality of your spiritual life, your spiritual pretension? And I recognize anytime a pastor starts asking about your prayer life, it's both an encouraging and a discouraging question. It's discouraging because, as I've heard it said, if you want to make a Christian feel guilty, ask them if they think they are praying enough. Because the answer will always be no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying this morning. Because I think, actually, this should be encouraging what Jesus is saying to us. Because God desires to know you. To have you come to him. To follow Jesus is not simply a list of demands you must keep in order for God to love you. Jesus is saying that the spiritual life starts with intimacy with the Father. He wants to know you, just you and him. So the pressure is off. Just go, just go pray. Just go and, and seek God. But the more we try to perform spiritually without a robust prayer life in the unseen place... It's a guaranteed ascendancy to pretentiousness where we act moral, but we don't really know God. And those are the worst kinds of people to be around. People pursuing a moral life without without intimate knowledge of God. People who are moral but don't know God in the unseen place. These are the religious people that judge others harshly, that have no trouble speaking in judgmental tones or mocking tones of other people, who condemn others Readily, because they have no sense of their own sinfulness or need, because they're never alone with God in the unseen place. And Jesus is saying he has no interest in that kind of religion, performative religion. And so test one of spiritual pretension is prayer. What does your prayer life reveal to you when it's just you and God? Test two is, is fasting. And this is very similar to prayer, so I won't spend much time on this. But he describes a fast where religious people make it obvious that they are fasting. They paint their faces. They walk around declaring their their hunger. And so the, the only reason they're fasting is so other people can see that they are fasting. And Jesus, again, says that's, that's pretentious. You're just doing it for others to be seen by them. And you've already got your reward. Your earthly praise. It's worth nothing to God. And so these are two great tests for spiritual pretension. But the trouble is they're subjective. How do you actually know how good your prayer life is? Or if you're fasting truly to know God? It's hard. 
It's hard to know that. You can't measure those things. They are subjective. Which is why the third test, to me, is, is really important and really helpful. Because we can measure test three. Which is generosity. Now many of us, in the coming days, we will be doing our taxes. And most likely, you have tracked how much money you have given away in the prior years so you can pay less taxes. And I'm not judging you. I'll do the same thing. But when I, what I want to point out is generosity is actually something we can measure. A lot of Christians, we, we try to avoid that and quickly try to point generosity away from the financial reality um, to things we can't measure, like, like our giftedness or, or time. But my belief is generosity is a really powerful test of spiritual pretentiousness. Because you can measure it. And so do you know that number? How much you gave away in the previous year to the poor and to God's house in the church, to the mission of God in the world? What is that number? And how has it grown or shrunk over the years? Here in Matthew 6, 2, Jesus is speaking of a particular type of generosity, alms to the poor. The Jewish people had a number of, of pieces of generosity they were expected to, to participate in. One was giving directly to the poor. You see a poor person in need and you give to them. This was on top of the expected tithe that was to go to God's house, the temple, which was ex- on top of other expected uh, gifts to feast and to regular times of worship through the year in the Old Testament. And so theologian Craig Blomberg, he's written a book on all the generosity of the Old Testament. And he says, if you add it up, the expectation of Old Testament believers was that they would give away about 23.5% of their income. The average American Christian today, that number stands between 2 and 3%. Which means, despite living in an outrageously wealthy culture, our generosity is one-tenth of what Old Testament believers practiced. That I would say we struggle with this test in ways that are unique, despite our significant resources and wealth. So for the last few years, or last few weeks, I've shared a number of disturbing statistics about how many people are leaving the church over the last couple of decades. 40 million people, 15% of the adult population in the United States has left the church in the last 25 years. 1 million millennials, people my age, leave the church every year. And my belief is those numbers are not surprising given the generosity statistics of the church today. It's one thing for me to pray in the secret place. To seek to be obedient to God there. It's one thing to give up food for one day occasionally to seek to know God in that practice. It's another thing to say to God, my money is yours. And my generosity will not reflect the surrounding culture I live in, but the teachings of the Scriptures. Generosity is a painful, but honest and measurable test of how genuine our spiritual life is. Because I'll say, I've never met a generous person who is also spiritually pretentious. 
They may be out there. I've just never met one. I've met people who pretend to be generous and are spiritually pretentious, but I mean genuine generosity. I've never met someone who practices that, who carries a judgmental or harsh spirit towards others, who practices pretension. And so there they are, three tests of how genuine your life with God is. Prayer, fasting, and generosity. Those are the three tests. So, okay, well, how then do we become a person of low spiritual pretension? And Jesus gives one way here in the text, and then I'm going to give you another through my own life experience. And the one here in the text is, is cultivate the secret place. Jesus says, if you want to avoid the sin of the Pharisees, cultivate the secret place. Be intentional with prayer, fasting, and giving in a way where the only one who knows what you are doing is you and the Father. And so we're halfway uh, through the new month of a new year. So, you know, you've probably already failed your first New Year's resolution so far. So let me offer you a few new ones. Start over. Um, but first, cultivate a daily prayer habit. Every day, same place, same time, even if it's just for five minutes. Where no one knows. Pick a place in the house where you'll go to the Father and, and seek Him. Or cultivate a fasting habit. Maybe you have never fasted ever. Maybe you fasted a long time ago, but it's been a while. Well, pick a day in February where you go 24 hours fasting. Or if that seems way too crazy, just pick one meal in February that you'll fast from and replace it with prayer and seeking God. And don't tell anyone that you're doing that. Just do it. Uh, don't, don't do what I did in, in one of my fasts in high school where uh, I had an extended fast with a friend of mine. And we both, we had, had it planned how we were going to break our fast on a Friday evening together. We both loved Penn Station subs. Had it all planned out. The trouble was that was during the high school play and we had promised our friends we would attend. So it raises the question, do we extend the fast by a couple of hours or take Penn Station into the auditorium and eat it during a live performance? Given we were both high school students, I'm sure you can assume which choice we made. And we took it, the food into the play, but if you've ever had Penn Station, it's not discreet food. It's like grilled vegetables and oils. It smells. And so we got our Penn Station sandwiches, hot subs with onions and banana peppers and oregano, and took them into a live play performance. And about one minute after we opened our sandwiches, the whole auditorium smelled what we were eating, including our friends on stage who commented to us about it after the play was over. And as Jesus would say, me and my friend Matt, we received our reward. Everyone knew what we were doing. So February, pick a day and fast and don't do that. <laughs> or third, cultivate a practice of, of secret generosity. I don't know your financial position, but depending on how you're doing, take a $5 bill, a 20 a 50 a 100 and put it in your wallet. And wait for the moment where you can give it to someone in generosity. Quietly offer it away. Maybe you even pull the, the, the classic Christian move, put it in an envelope so they don't even know it was you. But if you want to be a, a person of low spiritual pretension, you must cultivate the secret place with you and God. 
That's one practice of generosity. But I, I do want to also prepare you because over the next two weeks, we're going to invite you to consider your generosity here at our church home over the next 12 months. Um, but our interest is not because we have needs as a church, although we do. It's because I believe that your generosity is a crucial part to your discipleship to Jesus. And so if you look in the, the, the seat backs um, behind you or maybe on your chair, we have commitment cards today that can walk you through some of what we'll be talking about over the next two weeks. We'd love for you to take that home, begin praying. While also acknowledging if this isn't your church home yet, you're still figuring us out, that's okay. We don't need your financial generosity. We're just glad you're here and we hope you keep, keep coming. But we do want to challenge everyone that in your life of generosity, whether that's towards our church family or you need to direct it elsewhere because you're not ready to call us your church home yet, what I care most about generosity is it's the sign of genuine spirituality. Genuine life with God. I believe generosity is a crucial aspect to your discipleship to Jesus and is one of the most important ways we kill spiritual pretentiousness, which I believe is what makes the church so unattractive to the rest of the world. So that's one area we're going to invite you to consider is cultivate the secret place in generosity, prayer, and in fasting. But there's another way you can become a person of low spiritual pretension, aside from the secret place. A way that's not in this text, but that's become a part of my life. It's a part of this morning. And has challenged my own spiritual arrogance and pretension in profound ways. And so secondly, if you want to become a person of low spiritual pretension... Cultivate a ministry to people with disabilities. This is a crucial part to our Gather initiative, what we're doing over the next two years. But it's not just because that's my own family's story, although that is important to me. But it's also important to me because I know what ministering to people with special needs does for our spiritual lives. What it's done for my spiritual life. Because it addresses your pretension. And if you allow it, it draws you closer to him. Because two things happen when you begin to engage with people of special needs. First, they give us a true vision of human dignity. People with special needs give us the true vision of human dignity. I mean, what, what gives a human worth and dignity? What makes human beings valuable? We tend to assume in our culture that it's, it's action, it's what we do. It's what we accomplish. People who get things done, they display human dignity and value. And so that's why the common response to people with disabilities increasingly in the world is abortion. They don't believe them to be truly human because they won't get things done like we valuable humans get things done. They can't create spreadsheets and TPS reports and lead Zoom meetings. Those are the people with real dignity, those who lead Zoom calls. And that's why Christians from the beginning of the church refused to practice abortion. Because they saw human dignity not just in human action, but in the human person. And I see that truth now more as someone deeply engaged with people of special needs. That human dignity is not just in our action. It's also in our need. Humans have a capacity to be helped. That's not true of any other uh, animal, if I can call us that for a moment. There's dignity in our, our neediness. Not just in what we do, but what we cannot do. And need to be done for us. 
And so there was a theologian named W.H. Vanstone, and he wrote a whole book on this idea called The Stature of Waiting. And here's what he wrote. It is a truism for those, that those for whom most has to be done tend to be the most dearly loved. And it is understandable that the power of helplessness to kindle and attract love may deepen and enrich the whole texture of relationships within a family. So a child who has no power of action or initiative and scarcely any power of response may become the focus not only of the family's attention, but also of its profound gratitude. Now he also points out it can also be profoundly disruptive and painful to family dynamics, and that's true as well. But I've seen that play out time and time again. Persons who need the most create the most community. A dynamic of love and service and gratitude that is unique. So why is that? Why do the most needy among us often create the greatest community? And my belief is because it destroys pretension. Destroys pretension. And how many of us keep up a lot of pretension saying, I don't need anything, I can do it myself. When that's not true of any of us. And someone with special needs comes along and they need a lot. And they can't be pretentious. <laughs> and they invite you out of your pretension because you need a lot too. And so secondly, people with special needs give us a new vision of a low pretension life. That many of our special needs friends, they say what is on their mind with no filter. Which can be hard, but I also appreciate because most of us, we invest enormous energy in hiding everything that is wrong or broken in us. We keep that tucked away to show the world how great we are, how much we have it together, even though we don't. And oftentimes churches appear like that, and we can give off the vibe in church that welcome to the place where everyone has it together. And that's all pretension, because that's not true. And it's impossible to do this with people of special needs and their families. The physical care often is so great. You can't hide the need. You can't keep up pretentious dignity when it takes two people to lift someone into their bed for them to get rest and sleep. The emotional care is often great. When someone with special needs becomes dysregulated and they have an outburst, start yelling or making sounds, you can't keep up your pretension then. And so special needs people and families, we can't hide our mess. It's just out there. Love it or leave it. But we can't hide it. And I actually think that's really freeing. Because when we hide the mess, what we often do is present ourselves as more righteous than we really are. And that's much better than a church full of people stuffing down all that's wrong with us and pretending we are perfect is having a, a church of low pretension. And we need our special needs friends to lead us into that life. The Matthew 6 is very clear. Jesus has no interest in a dressed up religious crowd that puts on a good show. He wants people of honest faith who love God and know Him. And that's why special needs ministry will continue to be central to who we are as a church. Not just because of what we think we might offer those people or their families, but because we need what they offer us. I mean, how many of us have sat through prayers that droned on and on that were, <laughs> that were pretentious? I might have prayed a few myself over the years. But Matthew's prayer, there was no pretension in that prayer. When he said, Help us see we are in a good place. He meant that. 
And so in our, our Gather Initiative, we want to be a family for people of all abilities, all disabilities. And so that means a few things as we think about the future of our church that I've mentioned that we're, we're still moving towards. The first is we want to hire a pastor to special needs families and people. The most churches our size don't do that because that's an expensive reality. But we feel it's important because we believe there are people all over our county who deeply desire community and connection. And we have all of that to offer in Jesus Christ. We just need someone who can devote the many, many, area, many, many hours to find those families and love them and point them to community in the name of Jesus. We're updating our sensory rooms and looking for a better home for our friendship class in the building. We've committed significant financial resources to making both our Valpo and Chesterton campuses better homes for our special needs families. Building a new elevator in Valpo and a new elevator here in Chesterton as well. And so I want you to, to consider what might your involvement be with special needs ministry here at, at Liberty. Maybe it's going to Johnny and Friends this summer. Every year we have over 30 volunteers who spend a week in Michigan serving families like mine. It's incredible. It will change you. In fact, we, uh, so many families sign up. We've tried to add, or Johnny Friends has tried to add a third week in Michigan, largely staffed by Liberty volunteers. So we need a ton of people to make a third week happen so families like mine aren't left out and don't have an opportunity to experience the community and service and life-invigorating faith that is at Johnny and Friends. We need your help this summer. Or maybe it's volunteering on our friendship class. Every Sunday we have a class with special needs folks. We always need volunteers for that. Or maybe it's playing floor hockey. This Friday night we're going to host an event for special needs families and people all over Porter County. We'd love for you to come. And just hang out. You don't have to do anything. Just come and hang out. And get to know special needs folks in our families. We'd love to see you there. Just hang out for a couple hours on Friday. Or maybe that all just, that's, that's a lot, and you're, just, you're, you're, you're nervous about any of those steps. I mean, I remember the first time I went to a Deshin conference and saw that many boys in wheelchairs. I'd never seen that many wheelchairs in one place at one time. It was, it was startling. <laughs> and now it's normal, and I love it. Um, and so maybe you're not ready for those steps, but, but where we can all step in is, is with financial generosity. Because special needs ministry is not cheap. To properly get our buildings in Valpo and Chesterton where our special folks need them to be, just elevators is about $600,000 of our total building expenses, which is about $8.5 million. Total buildings, 7% of the building project is just elevators. But also this room is not a, an accessible, friendly room. So we need to redo this room. I won't put the whole cost of this room on the tab, but it's... It's important. Right now we have one section where the moment you stand up, you're blocking our, our friends with special needs in wheelchairs. So we'll have a nice center section where they're elevated. They can see over um, all of our heads, which is a much better view. But that, that costs money. It costs money. And we need your help to make that happen. And so special needs ministry will be very important to our church. But I want to say this again. Not because we want to do something for them. But because we believe as a church, we are not complete without them. We need the way they follow Jesus to help us better follow Jesus. And to illustrate, many weeks on Sunday after church, after I preach, my friend Stephen comes up to me after service. Stephen is one of the many special needs people who make this church so great. 
And whenever Stephen comes up to me, three things happen. He says to me, you're my pastor. You're a good preacher. And then he gives me a hug. If that's all I did for people the rest of my life, I'd be closer to Jesus than I am today. And so Stephen makes me a better Christian because there's no pretension in him. In fact, I've never met a spiritually pretentious special needs person, which means they embody Matthew 6 better than all of us, which is why we need them. Because that that ultimately is who Jesus is. They embody a vision of Jesus that, that we sorely need. Jesus is the ultimate low, spiritually pretentious person. Think about who he, who he is. He's the Son of God with the riches of heaven available to him. And yet his most defining act in life is when he made himself helpless, handed himself over to the authorities of this world, and the Son of God dies in utter humiliation. There's no pretense in that, only love. Other-centered, sacrificial, and generous love, giving himself away to us that we might be loved like that. Jesus did not practice his righteousness to be seen by other people, but to love us, to give himself to us, to save us. But he goes even further than that. It's not just he, he loves us through his no-pretension life. Then he also says, why don't you come up and take life with me? <laughs> There's a better way than how you're doing it. And so he doesn't just save us, he invites us to his table. So that anyone who calls on his name, however pretentious we may be, can be saved by the welcome of Jesus. No pretense. So call on his name. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether you have done that your whole life, you've called in the name of Jesus your whole life, or whether you want to start today, call on his name and he welcomes you to his table. It doesn't get any less pretentious than that, does it? Whoever you are, come. You're welcome because I died. I gave my body for you. I, I shed my blood for you. And so we need, to, we need just to practice that now. Practice the table of Jesus, his welcome. We're all um, are, are welcome. And so if, if your faith is in Jesus, if you've called in the name of the Lord, we want to invite you to the table. Come in groups of five to seven. Take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together with the instruction of those serving you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this meal's not yet for you. But as I said, call on his name. And we have anyone with a yellow lanyard or anyone, I'll be, I'll be in the hall. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to call on his name and, and be welcome at his table. Um, so as you're ready, we invite you to the table. Let me pray for us and then come as you're able. Uh, Father, we give you thanks that when Jesus entered into this world, uh, he did not enter in and own his righteousness before us to shame us, to show us how far we've fallen to humiliate us. Uh, No, he called us into a new type of life in the secret place with the Father that we might live out a genuine spiritual life to this world. So the only way we can ever do that is to know Jesus intimately and personally, to know you, our Father, intimately and personally. And so now we, we come to the table to be known and to know you. And so may, may we come knowing it's the invitation of Jesus that has brought us here. And we pray all these things in his name. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.